Hi, everyone, and welcome to our fifth episode of Spark After Hours, a podcast where we talk about all things theme. My name is Mithershin. And my name is Manon, and we'll be your host for today. So for those who haven't been following us for a while, Spark is a youth-led nonprofit organization founded in 2018 to engage students in the world of science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. Normally, we host a 24-hour hackathon for high school students with COVID-19 into the play and has become Spark's mission to engage students through virtual activities and events. In August 2020, we hosted Spark From Home, a 36-hour virtual hackathon in which attendees would submit a project after being introduced to a theme and attend workshops and other activities along the way for inspiration. So today we have a super special guest with us to talk about his experience in the world of software engineering. Please welcome Akshay Paul. We're really excited to have you as a guest and we'll be getting to the important questions in a little while. We thought we'd do some icebreakers first to lighten the mood. So we're going to be starting off with something that we call joke review. So if you know about uh, meme review by PewDiePie, it's kind of the same thing. We're just going to like give you a bunch of jokes about software engineering and you're going to tell us what you think and what you give it out of 10. Okay, first joke. Why do Java programmers have to wear glasses? Because they don't see sharp. Oh no. <laughs> I give that a 5 out of 10. 5 okay. out of 10. All right. How about this one? Debugging is like being the detective in a crime drama where you're also the murderer. Oh no. That that's uh I'll give that an 8 out of 9. 8 out of 9. All right. Okay. So this is an interview in an IT company and the interviewer asks, "So what makes you suitable for this job?" And the interview candidate says, I hacked your computer and invited myself for this interview. Oh, no. Uh, can I give a negative score? That one was really bad. <laughs> that works, too. All right. Here's one that's more, I guess, programming oriented. So the best thing about a Boolean is that even if you're wrong, you're only off by a bit. That's that's funny. That's actually funny. Uh, that we'll give that one a ten. You know, I'm being a little too mean. All right, cool. Okay, one, two more. Um, an optimist says the glass is half full. A pessimist says the glass is half empty. A programmer says the glass is twice as large as necessary. That that's facts. That's facts. That's a, that's a ten too. <laughs> All right, and the last one's a pickup line. Uh, hey, my oh, name's man. Microsoft. Can I crash at your place tonight? Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I can't give that a high score. I have too many fans that work at Microsoft. So we're gonna pretend that doesn't happen. <laughs> so what would your rating be? Uh we'll give that uh an eight out of ten. I that goes against what I said. That's for I eight. Uh me and all my homies hate Internet Explorer. <laughs> Okay, um, here are some other rapid fire questions. So just give us a quick answer to this. This is about coding and like your daily life. So um, we know that like development days can be long and hard. So how many cups of coffee do you drink throughout our normal development day? Oh, I, I, I drink tons of coffee, at least one a day, oftentimes two, until I crash once a month when something hurts and I have to stop. <laughs> so... Um, like if you've seen the exaggerated coding scenes in movies, what are your thoughts on those? You know, it hurts of so much. Representation? It, it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, um, does, it doesn't give you a laugh or anything. Do you like it? Uh, 
I, I mean, if you enjoy cringe, then uh, I do enjoy cringe. So it is kind of funny. Um, what's your main coding pet peeve? Oh, wow. I um, Poorly spaced code. Lines of code that doesn't make sense spaced out. So final question, who do you look up to? And it's okay if you say Elon Musk. No, definitely not Elon Musk. No offense. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but he, uh, he went to Queens uh, for two years. He almost yeah. went to Waterloo, which is where I go. But there's a video of him uh, saying something questionable about his reasons why he didn't come. So you, uh, anyone who's listening can go find him on YouTube somewhere. Um, I don't think I have. I, I try to say I don't have any specific idols. You know, they're traits of different people you can pick up. The closest thing is this guy named, and I'm butchering his name probably, Chamath Paliapatiya. He's a Sri Lankan Canadian from Ottawa. Um, and he went to Waterloo and he was one of the early people at Facebook and he's the founder of Social Capital. And I think he's a chairman at uh, one of the space companies, Virgin Galactic. There you go. He's really cool. Okay, so now let's jump into some university life questions. Um, firstly, how did a background in IB help with adjusting the university life? Do you think it was beneficial in making the transition or do you think you would adjust it just as well without the IB program? Uh, I definitely think it was beneficial. Um, admittedly, it was difficult to see how strong the switch was um, because um, around 50% of my class was in some type of enhanced or learning or enriched learning like AP or IB. Um, I think really it's not exactly the school system, it's the network. So what I noticed, like network success compounds. So if you go to a, as long as you're in an environment of high achievers, uh, they'll give you shortcuts to success. So they'll help you out. And that just having that network to also boost your confidence is the most helpful. So in that way, there were a lot of really great, like, crazy schools like uh, in Windsor, uh, this high school called Vincent Massey. It's like a computer science powerhouse. So as far as I understand from my friends who go there, they don't have IB or AP anything, but they're really, really good. And that's the most important thing. They have a huge network. So for me, of course, um, growing up in Brampton, I went to Turner Fenton. At that time, it was the only IB school. So for me, that was my way of like getting that. And I found it beneficial. So, um, we see that you're an academic representative. So, um, I guess in that field, what are the main concerns that you addressed when you spoke to professors? And what do you think still needs to be done to improve the soft engineering experience at Waterloo? Yeah, so my role, me and there's two other people from my class, we have elections every term, though admittedly after like the first few terms, the class kind of just lets the same people go at it. So that's why I've been one of the reps since the beginning. Um, it's mainly to communicate issues um, from us to the professors. Like let's say an exam, exams are too close together. We're really being pounded by work. And specifically at, uh, like if you're in a smaller program or at Waterloo, the engineers are structured. So like your entire class is together, like middle school again, it's called a cohort. So um, 
It becomes really simple where you know that most people have the same assignments, same deadlines. So in that case, so if we're all screwed, uh, then uh, it's my job to like go to the other professors and ask for an extension and move things around. And to be honest, the experience has been great. Most professors are really nice and understanding and move things around. Uh, the directors change around. The director for my most of my time right now is someone different. Uh, has been Patrick Lamb, who's an amazing person, cool friend to reach out to. So uh, how much can be improved? Uh, I, uh, ex Experience-wise, it's kind of difficult um, to say. I think it's generally been good. First year is really hard overall. I'm not sure of how much you can change other than making Waterloo have a proper flush because it's absolutely trash um, and a travesty. Um, uh, that would help. And first year, to be honest, everyone's egos are inflated whenever you go to something competitive. And after first year, things chill out. Um, the curriculum, which is always being modified, um, is always like, there's always things to be improved. So, so, and that mostly comes from alumni. So to any of you listeners who uh, might go to Waterloo later on, um, once you start working, if you have any thoughts, please, please, please talk to the school again, try and get involved. We have alumni that uh, make curriculum decisions. A great one just got passed so that I get to take one less course in my last semester, which is great. Who wants to work hard in their last semester of university? Um, so that that's what I would focus on. Nice. And and as an engineering ambassador who talks to a lot of prospective Waterloo students, what's the most annoying question you get asked? Like, well, I'm sure they annoy you a lot with some like the same questions. Yeah, uh, probably the most common one, which I can't blame them. It's not uh, annoying, but it's very frequent. Is uh, because they're talking specifically about Waterloo, the difference between computer science, software engineering, and computer engineering comes up a lot. And it's also uh, difficult to um, communicate the nuances. In general, for most students, it probably wouldn't affect you too much which one you pick. Um, so it depends on what you want. Um, well, the most annoying part when this happens often is when parents are interested, but the kid is not. And it's very uncomfortable. I don't want to force someone to come here. I want to answer the questions. I don't want to sit there, try and talk to the kid when the parent stands by. It's very weird. That happens too often. Do people ever give you like their achievement history and ask to plug it into Waterloo, like on Reddit? Oh yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm decently active on Reddit. Admittedly, after first year, I stopped. After second year, I stopped getting involved in like the uh, high school stuff. There was a website called Yconic back in the day, or it used to be called Student Awards or something. Yeah. I had several people, I, I was active in high school. I had several people reach out to me from there, which is kind of nuts. Uh, and I've actually made friends who like come to Waterloo afterwards or younger than me that I had met over there. Um, but so generally it hasn't happened recently, um, but last, like the fall of 2019 was the last time I was in school and things were in person. And I did like a, we had like the fall open house. Um, it happens. I mean, it's a little awkward. It's, it comes out indirectly. The worst part is the kids, if they're, if the kids uh, kind of, I guess listing on achievements is not as common, but if they're kind of arrogant, it's fine because they're kind of to themselves. But it's really, really bad when the parent is arrogant for the kid. I hate seeing the mom or dad 
be like, oh, my son's so smart. He does all this, this, this. It's like, okay, <laughs> good for him. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, we learned a lot about your university life and we wanted to move on to something that Waterloo is really well known for, which is its co-op program. So um, I guess how much did Waterloo's co-op program help you with gaining employment opportunities, um, I guess, compared to like other universities' co-op programs? Yeah, I'm obviously biased, but I think this is the best uh, education model for an engineer, like period. Um, I literally cannot imagine how things would be if I didn't do co-op. And this is not to say that, I'm not saying um, co-op as in the co-op structure, although I really love that, but you, it's like necessary to work. So even if you're in a regularly structured school where it's like, just the summer breaks, please, please, please work in the summer. Um, the co-op system, assuming uh, if it implies that you get more spots for internships, which it does at Waterloo and most Canadian schools, as far as I understand, I find it even more beneficial. Um, you know, you get to try things. Um, okay, there are a few layers to this as to why I think it's beneficial. Uh, first one, academically, depending on who you are, I think most people struggle with the university, at least find it difficult. I know I find it hard. Um, and so having that break after four months is kind of nice. Uh, you can schedule it different ways. The way I my program is scheduled is every four months we switch. So I find it really nice to know that at the end of one set of exams, I have something new to look forward to. And towards the ending of a co-op term, I'm always excited to go back to school too. Um, so that kind of change of things, although exhausting, moving every four months is uh, really nice academically. Um, the second thing is how are you going to get the fastest way, I think, in most industries, but at least very often in software, is we have a very high turnover rate. Uh, the average tenure for an employee at FANG, which is an acronym for like the big tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft stuff. Microsoft isn't in the word FANG, but they're included when you refer to them, is like two years. That's insanely short if you compare it to other industries. Um, and the reason why is you can just get promotions really fast, experience really fast by hopping. Um, it looks bad to move really shortly because then your next employer might be like, where if they leave early? And their incentives, like, I don't know how where you are with stocks um, and like a vesting schedule. So you have to stay for a long period of time to get the full compensation. Um, but they're not, they're relatively effective. Um, we'll see how they go. Of course, I'm just starting my career, um, but uh, from what I've seen, they don't help too much in keeping people unless it's a startup. My point is with the co-op every four months or whatever, there's a four month school period in between or however long, eight months if you're regular school, you can kind of get a promotion. Hopefully if uh, luck is on your side and you've worked hard and you have the right opportunities available to you, there's a lot of luck involved, you can step up every time. And having more internships means you can have more chances at leveling up. So your first job can be that much better. Like I said, this has two benefits. Um, one, compounding work experience at different places. Find what you like and just um, getting a lot of experience. For me, at least at Waterloo, we had six internships, two years or 24 months of work experience. Um, the other is network. Network, I strongly believe I've anything network is the biggest factor for success in everywhere. Network and then grit. So if you can get up after being pushed down and building a network, switching companies or teams every four months is insane. Uh, and like, obviously within your school and then your school's friends and meeting people at other universities. And if you go international, literally other countries, 
Um, it's astounding because I am personally most grateful for the network I think I have at this point, and I look forward to 10 years seeing what everyone's doing. I know this is a long answer. Um, so there's the uh, co-op helping in that respect. Um, academically, career-wise, of course, uh, there's two more. One is, of course, financially. I think uh, it's nice to pay off a decent percentage of your school, and at least like it helps with the cash flow only paying for four or eight months at a time. Um, the last one is, um, I, I don't hear anyone talk about this. I know stuff I said before is common, is I think emotional growth. Um, and this just uh, comes with high responsibility. And I don't mean this to um, hurt others, but it, in general, it can be abstracted to if you go through a lot of things, you go through a lot of different experiences, you can probably get a lot of wisdom out of things. Not that I'm wise, but just saying that um, a lot of my friends literally moving cities every four months, meeting, learning how to interact with people who are much older than us, right, at these different companies, meeting generally you say North America so it's similar culture but just hanging out dealing with all these different people different work environments um have, with the money coming in dealing with finances in a responsible way like all that stuff um forcing yourself to make time for the things you enjoy because there's always so many things to do which is a general university thing but when you're forced to move to it kind of hampers things so that hyper prioritization and tons of um responsibilities i think it's very 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 helpful and i'm again this is not an exclusive thing so if you go to a co-op school or something but i found that a larger percentage of people maybe i'm biased because of course i talk to more people from my own school um have that just because of going through way more experiences than a lot of my friends who might have been in a regular structured program interesting so as someone who facilitated a workshop seminar on resumes to increase your class's employment rate, how does one get the opportunity to work with such a big company like Facebook? Yeah, so uh, a shout out to uh, my class. As I can't speak to other things, but as far as I've heard from other universities and of course at mine, engineering is pretty, uh, it's a team-based activity, team-based job. So generally like culture is really good in, at least better than other programs often, at least it's more team focused. And so at Waterloo, every program and then across the engineering faculty and then also we have our math faculty too, but engineering specifically, we hold resume critiques every term and the up years always come, volunteer their connections, you know, advice and everything to younger years. Of course, I benefited from like greatly and um, I try to give back. So uh, later on um, now, we just had one this summer, actually, it was virtual, which is a little harder. We did it through Discord, but, you know, we may do. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of, if we're talking specifically in software, there's, um, so I'd say to get a good job, there's, like, three aspects. Um, first one, of course, uh, there's always chance or luck involved. Um, how much that affects things, difficult to say. Um, depending on my mood or how I'm feeling, I might say there's a lot of luck, there's not that much luck, so hard to say. Um, the second part is playing the game to get their attention, a recruiter or an engineer's attention. And the third part is having actual skills, which you've only developed with time. So that's kind of difficult to control. Um, just try and put yourself to do as much varied experience as possible and challenge yourself. So second part, someone I want to focus on how to get their attention. 
if you have connections, of course, all the like non-resume stuff, I'm sure everyone's heard, specifically on the resume within software. At bigger companies, um, you know, I, I, I'm not authorized to say anything about the Facebook recruiting process, but in general, what I've heard um, and what I've seen from a lot of medium to large size software companies, your resume goes through a parser. So a major thing is actually keeping a simple format. Um, I actually undid mine. So mine looks really boring. I mean, first of all, one page resumes, of course, make them really easy to parse. You can test these, right? If you say, for example, go on Uber's job website or Microsoft's job website, and you're trying to apply, upload your resume and it's going to try and read the PDF file and fill in details. And if it's messed up by a lot, then that's probably a bad sign. So making sure it can be parsed easily because they get literally tens of thousands of applications. So they will filter through automatically through these um, parsers looking for certain keywords or certain attributes, which if it's a new grad or internship role, it's probably a certain GPA or a certain year, like what you are, you are or something. But more importantly, it's what other work experience you've had. So getting through that. Um, second is like general resume advice, which is like when you write, um, you know, I did this, it'd be like, did X via Y, Y being a technology or techniques, algorithm, something um, to achieve Z, which would be some type of metric, like quantitative uh, or qualitative um, change that you've noticed, some type of delta. Um, that is like a general resume thing. A third thing I found, this is a personal thing, is that if I'm thinking through the eyes of a recruiter, that let's say you get to the parts or if it's a company that's nice and humane and looks at resumes uh, directly, um, the recruiter has very limited, limited time. Um, and they're, they're probably going to spend disproportionate amount of time at the beginning and then kind of like skim faster to get to the bottom. I put my experience all the way at the top. I don't really have a skill section. I feel sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. I have my skills included in my bullet points, so I don't do that. Um, uh, it's on my website. If anyone wants to check it out, oxfordpaul.me slash resume.bdf. Or if you just go to my website, it is a link. Um, so I have the experience at the top. I think the recruiter will see, read those first. At the bottom, I kind of have a, actually, I think I've removed my project section now, but when I was starting off, I used to have one. All at the end is my education, because to me, I think it's the least important at this point. It's just what I've worked on. Um, so in general, you have to find your uh, sorting order, but order by um, attractiveness of recruiters. So put the most attractive parts at the beginning and think about them skimming through. Make sure it's easy to read for them. They're going to skim through it. Don't try and add too much stuff of course when you're starting off like in first two years like i have nothing on it basically so i have a lot of fluff and over time i delete more and more things and i will continue to curate it and cut down stuff to limit it to really um simple stuff my resume is actually um the format it's a uh fork of uh, one of my close friends um who's had incredible success with an insanely simple resume uh mainly because of uh, one is work experience, but he writes on his like tech blog. And I don't know if anyone knows about the website. Um, um, uh, it's a, it's a hacker news, sorry. It's a news page for the accelerated Y Combinator. So he's reached like top posts one or two times, which is of course really cool. And um, he, 
I, he's always had really great success. I think that's a huge part of it. Not to say it's necessary for you to show interest in that way, but he's had success because that is attractive to recruiters. This episode is sponsored by VoiceFlow. VoiceFlow can visually design, prototype, and publish Alexa skills in Google Actions without having to write extensive code. VoiceFlow began in voice building and voice shopping apps and eventually interactive children's stories on Alexa. Try VoiceFlow for free today where you'll be able to work on two projects of your own. We also recently had a contest question on our Instagram story for you to answer. This episode's question was, what is your biggest coding pet peeve? Presenting the winner of the draw, at jamil.d. That's at J-A-I-M-I-L dot D. Make sure to follow at Sparkhacks on Instagram for more contests and updates. So speaking of hackers and hackathons, how have your experiences been with hackathons? And do you think they're a good metric for how one will perform in the software engineering field? And you don't have to hold back on your opinions just because we're an organization that plans hackathons. Uh, I'm glad you said the last part. Um, I haven't been to a hackathon since, since the beginning of second year or the 2A term. Um, I went to a few in high school and then first year. Um, personally, for me, at least at that time, I found the lack of sleep very difficult to get through. I'm just like, I can't really get anything done. I know people have done amazing things in there. Um, I just don't have the mental fortitude to fight through uh, um, lack of sleep. I know a lot of people, for example, talk about like, oh, I pulled an all-nighter. I don't, I don't think I've ever pulled a single all-nighter um, in university because I can't do that. I will go to sleep. So not to say I, I'm getting things done. I just like, I can't think I'm going to sleep. So it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, uh, people who get things done there clearly show uh, either fast learning, although I find that difficult to learn a lot of stuff in that short period of time, but it's um, high, uh, like a high caliber or of knowledge or skill with the certain tool set that they've used. That's what I think a great hackathon project shows. And also uh, the most important part for me, again, you guys know more because you host things. I don't, uh, so I think ingenuity and finding a good idea. Um, I always found that the hardest part when I was going to hackathons. Um, so yeah, those are my two cents. So like, I guess since hackathons are in your cup of tea, what do you think is the best place to learn um, programming or like software engineering skills in general? Yeah. Um, I am, uh, there are various like learning style studies and people say I'm an audio learner, visual, or I forget the third name, but like by doing or something. Um, and then some people say it's a mix of things and I kind of lean towards that side, but generally I'd say I learn by doing. Um, so hackathon is one medium to do that of course if you have the ability to go there and get stuff done that is amazing i um applaud you because i can't do that um um so i would basically do a project um that's how i started off however it was um outside of hackathons uh you know, lots of people say side projects so um doing that stuff is um I found the most beneficial at the beginning. You don't like this too much to know. So I actually um, did uh, like, I took like online courses 
so there's lots of them on like Udemy, Coursera, stuff like that. So uh, I there's a website that's gone. That was like Bitfountain.io. I uh, don't. I uh, did like the intro to Android course. Don't do it. It was actually probably pretty trash in retrospect, but that's how I started. Um, and I, again, I had a great group of friends who at my high school. A bunch of us were learning kind of at the same time. Um, one of us a little earlier than others, but that's how we started. Uh, just online courses with they guide you through everything, teach you what you need to know. And then when you, we tried building stuff on our own, like we built like an app, two apps for high school. Um, and as you're learning, you look up, you're like, why is this? And you know, uh, I think the biggest thing is when you learn to program, but it's really about learning anything. There's so many layers of understanding that you might need, like so many prerequisites. Like don't get discouraged when something simple takes you forever to figure out and the solution might just be one line. You know, that still happens to me and I'm just the beginner. It will always happen whenever you're learning something new. And even if it's not new, debugging is like that too. You might spend hours or days. Um, try not to lose hope. Uh, it's not that you're dumb or something. Uh, it Like it's really difficult to, as you know, uh, there are unknown unknowns, right? You don't know what you don't know because you think something should work, but it's because you don't know something you don't know. So you might, it, it might take a lot of discovery and then over time understanding. Um, this is helped by, of course, formal education. Like if you study computer science and they will take you through courses, they'll teach you stuff, how a computer works, compilers, all that stuff. If you do it early on your own, that's super commendable. Um, it's way harder to do things on your own. Uh, of course, a formal education helps because they will teach you in school. Um, and I'm saying like the theoretical aspect, um, not like specific tools, like how to use Node or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, just side projects, discovery, which might be difficult at the beginning, but uh, stay, like keep faith and for a lot of people, there's no shame in this. Um, if you just resort to formal education only, like that's completely fine. And I found that in first year, there's a huge gap in the skill set. Um, lots of people like me and way better who had experience, lots of people who had none. And I'm telling you right now, there's no difference. Like two of my best friends are the smartest people I know, uh, knew nothing about programming in first year and they're killing it. So um, it's not really a big deal. Yeah, and speaking about your projects, you were involved with CBC Radio, where you worked on a project that led to a 25% increase in user session time. So how does one develop an app that increases clicks and user retention with the short attention span that the modern consumer has? Damn, that's a really hard question. Uh, it's actually interesting. I've, um, that's like a product focused question, which that my that, that was my first co-op of my six at CBC. I worked on the CBC News app on the Android side. Um, and since then I transitioned into infrastructure. So then it's like kind of hidden the impact from users because the users are other engineers or developers at the company. But um, if I can try and recollect my thoughts from that time. Oh, specifically, I did a variety of things. The two most substantial things is on the news app. If you go into settings and enable dark mode or the compact layout, um, I did that. And then also the, um, we were doing a refresh of the app at that time. So that entire refresh, like I did a decent percentage of that work um, at that time. And so uh, there, uh, a 
lot of the decisions were kind of made beforehand because I joined mid refresh. So I was, of course, we had like a product manager. So they were kind of responsible for deciding what was necessary. And, but in general, you know, in industry, there's a lot of A-B testing. There's a lot of things that might be intuitive, you know, like uh, you might take UI, UX classes online or within university. Like I took a UI class where you might talk about various things, you know, things like degree of indirection. So how unnecessarily away from something intuitive you um, have to go to accomplish a task. Um, um, but when you're uncertain about what's intuitive, uh, A-B testing is a term known to try things out. So the way it would work is both, um, like if there's two ways of doing things, like position a button on two sides of the screen or something, uh, the code might uh, exist for both and they would be branched on a flag or a Boolean to be very, very, very specific. Um, that Boolean is set by some flag on the server side. Um, so when the user opens the app or goes on the website, it would hit the server. And then some statistics, maybe it's certain users of a certain demographic or something will be set to say yes or, uh, yes or no, like use a new feature or don't, uh, or like, left or right and it doesn't actually have to be boolean it could be multiple like three four options for example whatever um so test all those and then relating all the other metrics this kind of style is very data driven and that's very like medium large scale company things because there's various data collection tools a lot of data pipelining that is necessary to collect the data analyze it understand it and get a reasonable conclusion um, and uh, this is all I'm saying after the intuitive aspect, which I don't have a very strong forte in, um, but there's a lot of great product people who um, try and make that the first order, like uh, try not to waste time on the other side. Whenever they're stumped or they want to try something, they might do the AB, they might take the AB testing route. So we can't talk about the current state of engineering without talking about the future state of software engineering. So I guess we want to ask you from what you've observed, what do you think is the future of software engineering and what future advancements do you think will be made in the field? Yeah, yeah. You're asking for deep insight from a almost new grad. Um, but um, sometimes I see people say things like, certain front-end developers or like people who make websites um like so oh, like everything's gonna be automated we're gonna run out of this we're gonna run that we're gonna lose our jobs um you're an engineer you build things often and especially in software it's further and further level of abstractions um work is always changing you need to it's one thing about the software field i, I can't really compare it to other things um I try from you know, my friends, my parents, and other people, but software is very fast moving. Um, try and be aware of things. Uh, I don't want to stress people. I, like for a lot of people, it's just a job. Like don't don't worry. Um, but if you look at the future, what I mean is, things are changing, and it'll we're gonna have software in every aspect. New stuff is arising, like um, machine learning. I hate that buzzword, but. Um, and like even like data science kind of became a meme word for data analysts, but um, doing a lot of just a statistical analysis and pipelining related to that is only a relatively recent 
development in um, the software field because of the insane amount of data we have now where it's fruitful to build complicated systems like this. So just keep an eye out for new things. Things are changing. Some things will be left in the dust. You know, um, of course, you're going to, if you study some type of engineering, you're going to learn about analog circuits and digital circuits. You're going to learn about basic computer architecture. Then you're going to learn about assembly code. You're probably going to write some on another level above it. Um, I have to do labs in VHDL, which is like uh, like visual hardware description language or something. It's crazy. It's a very different concept from regular code because the code executes at the same time or concurrently because it's hardware. Um, uh, and then further, the, after on top of assembly, you um, we wrote like MIPS instructions in our compiler class and you have the compilers for language which are written in some other language. You have the basics of the language, you have frameworks on top of that. Um, then you might go back to those levels where when you think of, I don't know how much uh, context is necessary for this, but a distributed system, you can think of Google or Facebook or any even medium-sized company as multiple components. You The way oftentimes, at least this is just my opinion, the way it ends up being structured is very similar to how the hardware ends up being structured on your computer. And so it's kind of like the same pattern kind of arises. So there's always new things going on. Uh, I think it's beneficial to learn from the past uh, and just kind of be aware of things that are going on in the future. Um, don't stay stick to one thing too much, but um, of course I'm so young. Hopefully I don't make the mistakes I'm eating you all about. Um, I can't really say anything about the future other than it'll just, you know, only get more and we'll just see more and more software and um, relatively until now it's been kind of like only people who are like oh yeah i love code like i love computers but you know just like every other engineering field um it's going to be full of normal people we need a lot of engineers that aren't enough um it's going to be a regular job to a lot of people and the same way how um again i don't know but things are so progressing in the mechanical side various like oftentimes specifically in space but also like related to cars um when manufacturing which is a huge part advancements in there that's so old the industrial revolution but things will continue to grow and things will i don't think will ever like stop with software like it'll just it'll just keep changing so um it's very generic advice i don't know what to say it's hard to think of the future um if i could then i'd hopefully be rich and buy the stocks of a company that uh is working in that area or join the startup but yeah yeah, and talking about how the future is going to be filled with software, how do you feel about the perceived lack of privacy that consumers believe this field is straying towards? For example, the claims of ads pop up, popping up based on things users talked about in the real world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it's an it's an interesting time. I think um, you know it. You have to make your own judgment. Um, uh, how much you. Um, value or do not want to give away um, certain personal information that's used not for any malicious intent, malicious intent. Of course, I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone. This is just me as an engineer talking. Um, really just for ads, of course, you have to make money somehow. You know, this entire thing enabled the free internet. This exists, this enables stuff like a Google Maps exists, which generates nothing on its own really. Um, like they need to get funding somehow. So we in Western countries are more privileged. People can afford to think about privacy in that way. People who 
have, would never have access to these tools in places like, of course, I'm Indian, rural parts of India, like the smartphone boom back there. It's astonishing um, how, many, how much access they have now. And it is, of course, um, at the cost of them sharing their data to be targeted for ads. Um, you make your own judgment. Uh, I'm a firm believer of speaking with their wallet. Um, if you feel that that is something that you do not support, then um, try not to use those services. Um, uh, but personally for me, um, I'm a generally open book. I don't really see a problem with sharing my um, browsing history or et cetera. Um, with the company if they serve me targeted ads. Uh, in exchange, I support, like I said, the free internet model um, that I hope that others can benefit from. You know, um, most of these companies are American too, so the labor is expensive, you know, people here, but it benefits people across the world. So finally, we wanna ask you, you know, a more personal question. Um, what personal goals do you have for yourself? Um, like in, as your future as a software engineer in the field. Ah, I see, I see. Um, yeah, um, I, I've, uh, I guess I kind of geek out for a bit. Uh, I've always wanted to be an engineer. I'm not saying that that's necessary. Like I said, those two people who I think are like the smartest people to my close friends uh, that I know are, I don't think they thought about it until like relatively like late in high school, but I've always wanted to be an engineer. I've been really excited. Um, I. Though I know I've grown a ton and I'm proud of myself for how much I know at this point, I'm still just, of course, literally at the beginning of an entire career. Um, a short-term goal is to spend several years honing on my craft, uh, challenging myself in the workspace and becoming the best engineer I can. Um, beyond that is to hopefully transition to some type of role, some type of place. Um, where I can be impactful and hopefully use my, that I believe are like strong decision-making skills and awareness of multiple sides or multiple perspectives, um, along with these engineering schools to build products um, or services that are useful to as many people as possible and kind of have a positive impact. Although positive is, uh, again, there's trade-offs with everything, but hopefully as beneficial as uh, as beneficial to as many people as possible as I can do. Uh, those are like my short to medium long-term goals, career related. Yeah, and now we move on to the last section of the interview, which is just some few random questions about you. Maybe you have some fun stories <laughs> or anecdotes with them. So we see that you were offered an $80,000 scholarship by Sherlock. <laughs> my question is, why did you reject it? And is this something you regret? Uh, I don't regret it at all. Uh, not at all. I literally forget that that happened. Um, yeah, no, no shade. Uh, so that scholarship was to UFT engineering and no shade to UFT. I will preface this answer uh, with, um, uh, like I mentioned throughout the interview, to me, I found the most critical aspect, and this is how I picked my school, is network. Um, and just from you know friends, siblings, and stories I saw online, and I'm I was always really industry focused. Um, I just found that I believe the network I would gain from going to Waterloo would be way more important. Um, 
then if I went to another school and financially, like, uh, like I acknowledge my privilege. I was very lucky where it wouldn't be a burden on my family. You know, of course I talked to my parents and they were very kind and said, you know, pick wherever you want to go. Um, and then of course I did like calculations on my own about the finances. I was like, you know, if I work hard, I should be able to uh, earn enough. Um, and uh, I don't want to go into too many specifics. I've been very lucky with my co-ops, but um, I don't feel the financial hit. I'll just say that. Uh, so I don't think I really missed out on anything and I would make the same decision again. Very so uh, we know that Waterloo has a reputation of like, you know students that are stylish and like designer clothing. So we want to know: Has university made you more of a hype beast? Really? Where I have literally never heard this. I guess, uh, um, and I don't mean this in any shade. Um, it's actually an admiration. But the a, a lot of the uh, international students, uh, uh, just like with the UFT, have um, very expensive clothing. Um, uh, I don't think that really impacted me. Um, I'm not a full sneakerhead. I kind of like sneakers. It does hurt when you see someone wearing your favorite sneakers in the snow. It does kind of hurt to see that. Um, has it made me more of a hype piece? Um, uh, I don't think so. Actually, recently I've been trying to buy from sustainable clothing brands and I it's easy to fall into the trap of materialism and I fall into it all the time. You know, of course I'm wearing Nike right now, but I try, I'm, I've been trying to over the past year to kind of cut down on those things. Um, and uh, I mean, it's also a trend right now, but try and like thrift or like try and buy from sustainable brands like Everlane. Uh, so that's been my goal. I, I haven't, um, I don't think of that high piece. I'm like mediocre. Um, of course, if you see someone with my background from the city I'm from, people kind of assume that. Uh, the one thing I did fall into the trap too is that yeah, a lot of people at Waterloo, and I feel like it's probably across university, that like the very expensive winter jackets. Um, yeah, Canada Goose. Yeah, yeah, uh, those kinds. So I did fall into that trap fully, honestly. Don't do it, kid, but I did do that. Um, so I think it hasn't impacted me more than anyone expect hey i say you got to stay fresh when you're writing fresh code oh. <laughs> so our question was um have you ever had an unsafe code that got deleted and what other frustrating moments have you had while developing yeah so uh i'm generally pretty um paranoid when it comes to my work so i haven't had any major disasters with losing work although i've heard of a lot of my friends uh, that happened to all my friends. Um, uh, frustration mostly comes from debugging. It's always the most difficult part. And uh, namely this course I took in the fall of 2019 on my 3B second semester, third year term uh, called uh, Intro to Concurrent and Parallel Programming or CS343. Um, highly recommend uh, if you go to Waterloo to take that course um, or some type of equivalent in, within your faculty. Um, but uh, there are lots of various um, parallelism concepts brought up in there and there's limited support because the professor actually himself wrote a modified version of C++ which he called like a mu C++ so you can't really find um, help online um, 
Although, to be honest, it was rarely the syntax. Uh, like, it's not the syntax, really. It's not really descriptions of shared data structures because you'd get that in class. It's live locks and deadlocks and uh, resource starvation, which are all concepts in parallel computing. Um, actually, starvation is also kind of a concept. Uh, parallelism shows up in multiple places. So, of course, your operating system also has a lot of these issues too, where a program might freeze. Um, it might be it's locked because it's requesting a resource like the memory bus, which is there might be a limited amount. There's usually only one that someone, um, like another um, application might be using. This is a random, arbitrary, probably incorrect uh, example, but that course is really difficult to reason through. And it's not that I was doing it alone. Um, you know, I was in pairs and I mean, generally in engineering culture, like everyone like uh, discusses things together fully, like frankly, of course, me and all my friends would talk about it too. So would be like, yo, how does this work? Like, I remember me and my roommate, he was, uh, one of my roommates were working on it together. Just like spending hours in the hallway, just trying to think about why, um, what's getting stuck, what is actually the order of things, what can be the order of things. Insanely frustrating, really difficult. Um, but, you know, you have to challenge yourself to get through things. And so find a great partner. Hopefully you find one. And uh, that course, I recommend to everyone. Yeah. And uh, my next question would be, how would you explain your most recent project to a 10-year-old? Oh, this is so hard. Um, so my last uh, internship, I've interned at Facebook twice. So that was the most recent one as well. Um, I make sure that the Facebook apps and games and Instagram and all that gets the newest games and stuff as fast and safely as possible. Under the assumption that every kid nowadays is using their mom's phone or something. I hope that works. For sure. So um, I guess our final question is, uh, how does it feel to be a world record holder with a score of 9,999 on Flappy Bird? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised you found that. I actually forgot about that. Um, uh, I hate that game so much. It's so hard. Um, to anyone listening, um, this is what happens with projects, right? You don't really do proper security. So there's just a simple text file which had the, your high score saved. So I literally just edited the file to put some high number. I guess it was 4,900 something. Uh, I, I think I put it up on YouTube. Um, that was funny. Uh, I'm surprised you guys found that. But, you know, it feels good. I'd like to thank my mom, my dad, my grandparents. Uh, um, shout out to Turner Fenton Secondary. Let's go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it. Nice. All right. So, thanks for tuning in to this episode. And a big thanks to Akshay Paul for being here with us today. We had a lot of fun learning more about you and getting some insight into the software engineering field. So Akshay, now you have the floor to say anything you want to the audience. You can plug your projects or give us some lasting words of wisdom. Um, yeah, so uh, I just wanted to say uh, thanks to uh, both of you guys for hosting this. It's really great for you guys to 
reach out and try and help others um, keep up the great work. Uh, and of course, I want to see Peel um, be like incredibly strong in every industry, every aspect. You know, of course, I want everyone to do well. Um, anyone listening, um, if anyone ever wants to reach out to me, like I'm, I'm open. You can reach me everywhere. Um, I think my name's kind of unique, so it's hard to find someone else with my same uh, last name and first name. Uh, it should be easy. And yeah, uh, any lasting words? Um, there's a tricky balance between um, finding peace with everything, uh, being content with what you have, and being ambitious and always striving for more. And the balance is uh, on your mental well-being. I've struggled on both ends. Uh, I'm talking to people who I'm assuming listening are generally very career-focused. Um, make sure to take care of yourself first and foremost, your physical health, your mental health, your relationships with your friends, family, everything else. Uh, it's a sprint. It's a race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, something like that is a saying. Focus on your health. Focus on things important to you. Um, I'm not saying don't work hard, but make sure you're doing it in a responsible, sustainable way and uh, try not to get too arrogant. That's it. All right, cool. So with that said, um, check us out on Instagram at Spark Hacks, on Twitter at Spark underscore Hackathon, on LinkedIn at Spark, on YouTube at Team Spark, on Facebook at Spark Hackathon, and at our website at startspark.ca. And yes, that's a lot of handles, we know. Tune in next week to hear from another STEM professional and you won't want to miss it. Bye. Bye.